You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. So our reading this morning is taken from Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, and then Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such thing there is no law. As we were going to the place of prayer where we met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling, she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful to us as Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they drew them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the innermost prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And with trembling fear, he fell before him, before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, him and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, We'd like to welcome you and welcome all those who are joining us live stream. Would you guys let them know that you love them and they're noticed? Okay, this season, the Pentecost season, what we're doing is we're focusing on the life, work, and ministry of the Holy Spirit at work within the church. And the particular work of the Holy Spirit that we're looking at here in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is how uh, is the work of changing hearts and transforming lives in order to make us loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled people. In other words, to cause us to live fruitful lives. The kind of lives that bless the world around us, and at the same time offer proof 
that we truly are, we truly are disciples of Jesus Christ. Today, we're looking at the second fruit mentioned in the list, joy. Now, uh, about 50, 60, maybe even 70 years ago, about mid-20th century, a preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones said these words. He said, the greatest need of the hour is a revived and joyful church. Now, before reading that, if I were to ask you, what does the world need most right now? <laughs> We'd probably come up with a number of, hopefully, like really positive things. I'm willing to bet none of us would have said a joyful church. Because if we were to be honest, when we think about that term, a joyful church, that seems sort of trivial in a moment like this. But I would argue, and I'm going to try to convince you with all I've got and the Spirit's unction within me, that that truly is actually what we in the world need most in this moment, is a revived and joyful church. Game on. Challenge accepted? Okay. But let's be honest. We've got, we got to confront the issue first. And this is a very odd season to be talking about joy. In fact, as I talk about joy right now, there are probably some of you that would argue that this is an inappropriate moment to, to be talking about joy. We're coming out of a couple weeks where anger and lament over injustices have gripped our nation. We are three months into life being turned upside down by COVID-19, and we're reading about the potential for it like being turned upside down again. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of fear and frustration and anguish. In fact, a, a new study conducted by a UK-based health agency did a, uh, analyzed millions and millions of social media posts across America. And what they were doing was they were analyzing stress, anxiety, frustration, anger, and other generally like negative emotions over the last couple months. And what they found was that, drumroll, Stockton, California, was the most stressed city in America. You can give yourself a hand for that. I don't know if that's worthy of a congratulations. But it is the reality of where we are, okay? Stressed. Is that fair to say we're stressed? Okay. And then here we are in the middle of such a tense moment of history talking about joy. As if we're blind. Or as if we are indifferent toward the pressures and the difficulty of life. It sounds sort of tone deaf. But what we need to see here from the book of Acts chapter 16, is that there is a joy available to the Christian that doesn't disregard the challenges or the adversity that we or other people in our community are experiencing, but rather a joy that emerges as a sort of defiant joy. Willie James Jennings put it this way, joy is an act of resistance against all the forces of despair. You want to be a part of the change? You want to push back against the man? Praise. Display joy. That's why we're singing today. When we clap our hands, when we sing, 
when we put a smile on our face, that's not disregarding what's going on in the world. It's an act of defiance against the despair that has gripped our world. And we're displaying that there's a new hope that's been opened up for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That what we're seeing will not have the last word. This is the kind of joy that the Spirit of God is actively at work within us to produce. This is what I'm talking about. We're talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot that can be said about joy, and we've, we have. We've talked a lot about joy as a church over the years. But there are three things that seem pretty clear to me from this portion in Acts chapter 16. The first of which, if you're taking notes, is this. Joy carries us through trying times. Joy carries us through trying times. It's not so much that we carry joy, but that joy carries us. Now, anyone familiar with uh, Marie Kondo? The tidying up lady? Okay. So she's got this genius approach to tidying up the clutter of your, of your life. Uh, whether it's a, cl- a room, a closet, a house, you're a hoarder. Uh, you know, we've got, especially in moments like this, do I need to remind you about the whole toilet paper thing? We have this propensity to hoard, especially in seasons of fear. And so we're, there's probably going to be a season where we need to kind of like disconnect from the things that we found security. And so Marie Kondo, tidying up, she's got this approach. The approach is that you put all the clutter of your life out on the floor. And meticulously, one by one, you take, and the approach is so like tranquil, it's, it's, it's almost beautiful and, and artistic. You take the item into your hand, whatever it is, and then you ask yourself this question, does it spark joy? Does this spark joy? You think about it for a moment. Yes, this sparks joy. And so you, you put it into the keep category. And then there's the next thing that comes along, and you, and you take it into your hands, and you ask the same question, does this spark joy? And if the answer is no, you respectfully thank that item for being such a, you know, important part of your life at one season, and then you say goodbye to it. And you put it in the, like, go to Goodwill or whatever, give it away pile. Now, this is a great strategy for tidying up your home. This is a horrible strategy for navigating life. Because honestly, think about it. How many items in your life are sparking joy? That, like, fourth month of work from home? Is that sparking joy? Kids not going to school? How's that for sparking joy? (laughs) Sorry, Jimmy, you're not sparking joy. Going to the goodwill. If you're to be honest, this is often how we treat life. We attach our joy to things. We attach our joy to people, to relationships, to career, to opportunities, to finances, to the economic state. We allow the ebbs and flows of life to control and determine our joy. And so if things are going well, if all of the joy-sparking things are in place, guess what? We have joy. But if things aren't going well, if things are falling apart, if things are being put on hold, if we're losing things, guess what? No joy. Things in place, joy. Things out of place, no joy. And what we need to recognize is that this approach causes us to be emotionally enslaved to our circumstances. And this is probably the least Christian thing that we can do in this season. The least Christian thing you can do right now is to attach your emotions to circumstances and allow those things to control you. 
Because what we are doing as God's set free people is giving the power back to people, giving the power back to sin, giving the power back to pain. But don't forget, we've been purchased. We've been set free. And so when the Bible talks about joy, it is not talking about circumstantial happiness. We attach the two terms. Happiness is great. Happiness is a part of the Christian life. It's just not joy. Joy is not feeling giddy. Joy is not elation. Joy is not like, oh man, things are great. When the Bible talks about joy, here's what the Bible's talking about. Deep, durable delight in God. Deep, durable delight in God. Joy is like a subterranean hope that carries us even when we don't know it. It's the kind of joy that refuses to allow our pain to define us. Define us. It's one that trusts that no matter what is going on, God's goodness and his mercy are gonna have the last word over my life. They're gonna have the last word over our world. It's the kind of joy that causes us, like we see here in Acts 16, to rise above our circumstance. That is what is needed of the church right now, to rise above our circumstance, not to simmer into it and be lost in that process of assimilation, but to rise above. In fact, when the Bible talks about joy, it talks about it being our strength. It's a resilience. It's this odd, heavenly strength that looks fear and disappointment and despair straight in the face and says, I'm not giving in. You don't control me. So let's consider the situation Paul and Silas find themselves in. They're in Philippi. It's a city in Asia Minor. They've just spiritually and practically delivered a woman from the oppression of slavery. So, I don't know, if there's some, some sort of demonic oppression, these individuals are making money off her tapping into the demonic realm. Um, they've now set her free through the power of Jesus Christ. Uh, they've disrupted the broken, unjust system that is present in this city. They've challenged power and now, as a result, they are unfairly being accused of being disturbers of the peace. And so the majority, who have way too much to lose in the face of this message of liberation that they're bringing here to their city, they join in and they start beating them. And so after they're brutally attacked, both by the people and the authorities of the city, they're thrown in prison into the darkest inner dungeon of the prison. And then on top of that, they're fastened, their feet are fastened in stocks, in chains, and then they're left. Paul, Silas, what are the things that are sparking joy in your life right now? That is the circumstance. There is absolutely, unless I'm reading this wrong, there is no tangible, horizontal reason for joy right now. And what we learn from this is sometimes we are brought into these situations in order to detach from the false sources of joy. Now, what do we see here? Look with me in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying 
and singing hymns to God. Pause just right now and just acknowledge how otherworldly this is. Honestly, if I were observing this scene, I would think that they've lost it. You, you, you've, you've gone insane. You're praising, you're singing, you have joy. Are you ignoring the circumstance that you're in? Are you just totally off in la-la land? What's going on? Paul and Silas, in their darkest moment, have discovered a joy that transcends their circumstances. And here's how. They've tethered their happiness. They've tethered their emotional state to stump something outside of their jail cell. See, the source of their joy isn't tethered to something on the horizontal plane. They've tethered their joy vertically. Tertullian, who I talked about last week, said this, the legs don't feel the chains when the heart is in heaven. Write that down. The legs don't feel the chains when the heart is in heaven. And so the only way to experience joy when life is like this or just down is to attach your joy to something that's unshakable, something that won't ebb and flow, something that won't rise and fall with what's going on in our lives. And so my challenge to you, church, is to find something in your life. Just think about it. Now, this week, here's your homework. Find something in your life that will never let you down. Find something in your life that will never change, never wither away, never fail you, never go away, never forsake you. And when you find it, anchor your heart to it forever. And my confidence is that you will not find a single thing, a single opportunity, and definitely not a single person that fits that description other than Jesus. You won't find it. And if you do, I, want, I sincerely want to hear from you. This is what Hebrews 12 challenges us, us to do, the second portion of verse 1 going into verse 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to who? Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the what? Joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's what the Bible is urging you to do, and especially in a season like this. Connect your joy to the one who connected his joy to dying for you. It wasn't out of resentment or bitterness or begrudging duty that he went to the cross. It was the joy that was set before him. And what the Bible is saying is connect your joy to the one who had joy in dying for you. You met that person in your life? This is the one that breaks open the chains of our sin and sets us free to new life. So here's the question again. How did Paul and Silas sing before the doors were open? I get singing after the doors are open. Man, a miraculous earthquake. They open up, the chains come off. I'd be singing too. That's not the order. The order is singing first, then the earthquake. And so how are they singing before the doors are opened up? And here's the answer. It's because they had already been set free. They'd already been set free. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are released from the power of sin and death. And the true 
prison doors of our lives are swung wide open. What the Bible is saying is set this unshakable joy before you and you too will find reason every single time to worship and experience joy in your midnight hour. You're struggling to praise right now, you're not alone. But you must, you must set this joy before you. Secondly, joy confounds the watching world. Look at me again in verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I can't get over how weird that is. And the prisoners were listening to them. As the church raises their song in a very strange time, what is also happening is the world is listening. As we sing our song in a strange time, the world is listening. This is the infectious nature of joy. It's got such a powerful sort of communicable ability that it can spread quickly. Now, we live in the age of COVID-19, so we, we know all about like spreading things, right? We understand how things are infectious and the communicable ability of things transmitted by touch and transmitted by breath. That's why we wear the you know, masky things, because it's transmitted through singing, or at least that's what we've been told. But listen to me, every single Christian, every single Christian here today, every single Christian watching with us, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, has received a contagious joy. You're infected, friend. You got it. <laughs> no questions. And it's a joy that spreads, here it is, here's how it spreads, through gratitude and praise. And this sort of joy begins to fill the halls of our community in a way that draws men and women in. I love it. The night begins with Paul and Silas worshiping alone. The night ends with an entire household worshiping and rejoicing. Begins with two, and in just a matter of hours, it's a multitude. That's what the joy of the Lord does, but you can't keep it in. It doesn't spread that way. You gotta lift your song of praise. Willie Jennings, he goes on to say this, when you walk into a space marked by joy, it's infectious. Hopefully you felt that today. An individual comes into a space that is not their own, but it takes a hold of them. This is what the church is intended to be. This is what we are intended to experience in the household of God as someone comes in that feels out of place. What is this? This is weird. There's this infectious joy that draws them in. And this is why I'm convinced that the gathering, what we're experiencing right now, even with all of the inconveniences of, you know, like a, a thermometer on our forehead and hand sanitizer at every turn and masks on our face, it is still worth it. This is still worth it. And, uh, I mean, something to challenge us with this morning, if we're just feeling like resenting these masks, be reminded of this. If Paul and Silas can worship with shackles on their feet, we can worship with masks on our face. Thank you, brother. (laughs) 
We're living in a world marked by harshness and hostility. And what we need to be reminded of is that the world is listening for a new song to cut through the noise. They're waiting for that music to their ears that reminds them and surprises them by hope. A picture I just can't get out of my mind, especially over the course of the last few weeks, is a man named Vedran Smelovich. He was known as the cellist of Sarajevo. In 1992, during a fierce conflict in Bosnia, what he would do is every day, he would suit up in his tuxedo, take his cello, sit down in the middle of like bomb craters like this one pictured here, and he would begin to play beautiful music as bullets are like zinging past his head. And what he would do is he would fill the streets with beautiful music to remind them that there was something that lies beyond the turmoil. This is what the church is called to in every season. Here in Acts, the other prisoners, they're listening. Friend, your family is listening. Your coworkers are listening. Your children, they're listening. Your friends, your neighbor, our city, they're, they're listening. And our joy-filled praise of God at this moment right now has a powerful impact. Our worship is not trivial. Our singing is not trivial. Our joy is not trivial. It is impactful. And so the question I have for you today is, are you just going to join in all of the chatter and lose your prophetic voice in all of the noise? Are you going to join the tide of complaint and groaning and suspicion? Are you going to be just another voice in the political rhetoric that is not helping anyone right now? Are you going to fill the air with the strange sounds of joy? Because I'm not certain God has commanded you to post that next post on Facebook, but I am confident that God has commanded his people to lift a joyful noise. And we are committing ourselves to live into that because we know the world is listening. Let's look finally at Joy Confronts Despair. Joy confronts despair. As Paul and Silas lift their voices, it says this, verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But... Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Whoa, 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 whoa. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Think about the scene. Now, I want to treat something here in the scriptures very carefully, but also very clearly, just explicitly mention what we see here. This is a man that's about to take his life. No uncertain terms here. He's about to kill himself. Because he has reached a moment where he believes that there is no hope moving forward. It's over for him. Most likely, he's concerned about the fact that if all the prisoners get out, it's going to be his life and maybe even the life of his family at this point. And so he's got the sword in hand. But the unshakable joy of Paul and Silas convinced him 
that there was a reason to live. That's powerful. That's powerful. Joy moved outward, just like love. Joy moved outward. It's, it's not an inward-focused, self-seeking pleasure emotion. Joy moves outward and specifically outward to confront the despair in the people that need it most. That's what joy does. Why are we talking about joy? Maybe you're still not convinced. I get that. Why are we talking about joy right now? And my best answer is this, that despair needs to be confronted. And God's people are uniquely gifted with the only thing that can do that, the joy of the Lord. As I'm watching the news, I'm watch, I, every day I, am, I literally think to myself, I am so glad I don't have their job. I am so glad I don't have that person's job. I am so glad I don't have that person's job. And I am convinced that there are people that are so much more qualified than I am in their specific realm of social change. But here is an area where no one is more qualified than us. Listen to me. Where no one is more qualified than you. And that is confronting despair with the God-given joy that comes through the Holy Spirit. You, my friend, are the person for the job. With the social isolation and all the economic pressures our nation is experiencing over the last three months, now mixed with all the uncovering of layers and layers of inequality and hate and injustice. There are many uh, mental health professionals that are just nervously bracing for the long-term effects of this. And especially when it comes to the long-term increase in suicide. And even more locally, uh, I read an article just recently, a doctor in the Bay Area said that in the month of May, he saw a typical year's worth of suicide attempts in just one month. And this, is, this is something real. And I'm guessing that this is something real even within the church. And what that means is that we as God's joy-filled people in this particular moment have a responsibility to the world to confront the forces of despair that try to drive people to death and a responsibility to display the heavenly alternative of hope that has been opened up for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yes, I said responsibility. That, that's a really weird word to attach to joy, isn't it? In fact, if we think of a lot of words to describe joy, Probably none of us are thinking about responsibility. And yet, as we see from the scriptures, this is our responsibility. Joy is not a feeling. It's not a sentiment. It's not simply an emotional response. It's serious business. In fact, my boy C.S. Lewis put it this way. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And joy is the serious business of the church. And so let me conclude with this. Now, not only does the man put down his sword and live, just think about the miracle of that, but as a result of this visible fruit of the Holy Spirit that is evident in Paul and Silas at this moment, he asks the most important question a person can ask. Verse 30, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The presence of joy had created such a winsome alternative to despair that he says, man, whatever you have got, I have to get in on this too. 
I don't even know what you guys are fully about, but that joy thing, I want it. I want it. And here's how you can get in on it too. Here's how every single one of us here today and every single one of us watching can get in on this. Verse 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This is how we get in on it. Now it's interesting, he asks, what must I do? A lot of us are asking that same question right now. We see what's going on in the news, we see what's going on in the world, and that impulse to activity is kicking in. What do I need to do? How do I fix this? What must I do? No, 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 no. That's asking the right question, but asking it in the wrong way. Because joy is not based on what we do. Joy is based on what Jesus has done. Joy is based on what Jesus is fulfilling. And so this deep, durable delight This defiant joy comes to us through trusting in Jesus, his finished work on the cross where he has truly broken the forces of death and sin and the power of sin over us and given us new life. He's delivered us into his kingdom. And this deep, durable delight comes to us through the promise that Jesus has given that one day, coming soon, Jesus is going to return. And when he turns, he's going to overturn every evil, every sin, every injustice, and make everything right again. In fact, he says, it's going to be so good that I will wipe every tear from your eye. No more sin, no more brokenness, no more death, no more of it. Only life, only goodness, only joy forevermore. So us as the church, this is the way that we cultivate joy. It's simple, and yet it's really profound. It's through praise. It's through praise. Here's the connection between praise and joy, which we're going to participate in in just a moment. Praise is not only the way that we express our joy, but it's actually the way that God grows it in us. And this is the circular, compounding nature of joy. We express it through praise, and we grow it through praise. And so I'm calling you, church, I'm calling you in this season by the power of the Holy Spirit to rise to the occasion and to lift your strange song of joy in in a moment of despair and death. You with me? God, thank you for it.